What's up guys, it's Mitch from Mitch's Kitchen and we are back again for episode number six of The Taste of Success. Today I'm with, with Brad of Willie Croft Cheese. How you doing? Hey, yeah, all is well, thanks. So, Willie Croft, got to start with the name. Um, give us the history, why Willie Croft? What does it mean? Uh, obviously in the UK, Willie is a, a very kind of risque word, so uh, let's go with that. <laughs> Yeah, so unfortunately, it's not quite as risque as it might sound. So my uh, my grandparents were dairy farmers, and uh, in 1957 they moved to a farm that didn't actually have a name at the time. And the only uh, kind of main characteristic on the farm was this moor, and it was called Willycroft Moor. Um, and it was it was definitely the kind of most distinguishable feature of the farm. Beautiful wild piece of land, and uh, yeah, my grandpa just liked it so he decided to call it uh, Willie Croft. Um, and so when starting a, uh, yeah, a plant-based cheese business, uh, given how kind of formative uh, my roots were um, and, and visiting that farm, I have a lot of cherished memories there. Um, I, I couldn't think of anything else to call it but, but Willie Croft. So we always say established 1957, reimagined uh, 2018. That's amazing. So uh, I read a bit on your website about kind of your story and the um, your trans your um, journey to moving to a plant based diet. So can you mm. kind of share that journey with us? Because it was uh, a dairy farm, wasn't it mm. initially? So I moved to Amsterdam, which is where we're based now, in 2016. And I, I started to eat a mainly plant-based diet on moving here. I, I just found myself with a lot more time in my hands. I'm starting to really read up on a lot of things, watch quite a do few documentaries um, and, and things. And yeah, I kind of saw that if I was to do one thing to um, yeah, change my impact on the planet, it was going to be my diet. Um, so myself and my partner made the switch then. And uh, yeah, we, we found it very easy actually to give up most things, but cheese was the one thing that uh, kept uh, yeah, coming back to bite us. And um, yeah, I, I just found the replacements were quite substandard in comparison to the replacements for milk and, and meat. Um, and so I just started to, uh, to experiment in the kitchen myself because uh, my grams taught me how to make um, yeah, cheese to you know, a fairly basic level. And so I had a bit of background understanding of the, the basics of cheese making. Um, and I really got quite deep into uh, experimenting and reading up on uh, how I could take those basic principles and uh, yeah, add a, a, a plant-based uh, ingredient pool. So that was kind of the formation of Waycroft. It was really just me trying to fill a gap in myself and my partner's diet. It was uh, never intended to become what it has today. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and on that note, I saw recently you announced you're in, is it 400 Lidls across the Netherlands? Yeah, so we've just done a, a two-week promotion. Um, so it's our first kind of nationwide launch. So we've, we're, we're on quite a lot of online stores, so like kind of like the Ocado of, of uh, the Netherlands, where we're on that store. Um, and we're in some, some of the bigger retailers, but it's, it's a select few. So this was our kind of big nationwide rollout. And... Uh, yeah, it was just a two-week promotion, and I, I saw the sales figures this morning, and it's, it's all, already almost gone four days in. So uh, it's uh, pretty good signs. Yeah. That's amazing. And one thing I love is um, I read your story on the this is not Parmesan and the this is not labelling. Um, I've seen it a few times. Or um, Can you kind of explain the rationale behind that? Obviously, legally, 
anything around dairy and cheese labeling is very yeah. like very locked mm -hmm. down like you can't like we we can't call things parmesan or, or things like that so yeah this is not how did how did that come about yeah well it's, it's tricky because when you're trying to replace something you kind of want to give someone an indication of what it is you're replacing it with but with the current uh, legislation indeed it's really tricky because the dairy replacement language is so limited and I always thought putting asterisks or stars just was kind of um, not giving it justice to what it was and so I was trying to think of you know adjectives and descriptive words that, that did it justice and in the end we kind of thought well we're trying to create something similar but we're trying to create something that's better and so that's how we kind of came upon this is not. And so we say it's this is not because it's, it's obviously not, but it's also, um, it's, we, we try and make it better than, than the thing it's replacing. So it's kind of a little bit of a play on words because in some, to some degree, we're saying it is that by comparing it to it, but we're also, you know, it's, it's, it's a new spin on, on a timeless product. Um, so that's kind of the vibe there. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get a letter through our door at some point from uh, uh, some kind of uh, legislative uh, body. But I really welcome that day because there's so much contradictions with what they've done so far with milk. And there's a lot of precedents where they've just not really made a decision either way. And the EU had, had said that they would release a load of uh, information on it uh, at the beginning of this year. And then COVID came. So uh, we're still waiting for what they finally want to do with it. And uh, yeah, I think um, a legal battle will, uh, will be a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm ready for it. On the, um, the, the dairy side of things, I think it was the, it was the Bevolution podcast where I heard of you, um, the sort of morning meetups. And during that time as well, you said um, you actually speak with or try to work with quite a few farmers or dairy farmers, which I found really interesting. Um, mm. so can you just um, go into detail a bit on that as well? Yeah, I mean, my philosophy, I think, with anything where you're changing it is, I think it's really important to be sat at the table and to also put yourself in the shoes of those that you're trying to change. And we, we can do everything, you know, to the best extent of, of what we're trying to do. But if we don't work with the system to a certain extent, I think it will be really hard to change it, certainly at scale. And given my dairy farming roots from my gramps and stuff um yeah I, I felt kind of very um attached to that world and so i don't think we can just leave it behind and there's a lot of human stories behind dairy industry as well so most you know not, maybe not most farmers but certainly a lot of farmers they want to transition um they're really living hand to mouth i mean it's not a well-paid industry they're working seven days a week pouring their heart and soul into something that is now being um, kind of called evil and destructive. And, and 20 years ago, no one really knew this information that we know today. It wasn't, certainly wasn't as widespread. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we want to work with farmers and really help them transition. So what that looks like in kind of a practical way is a lot of our base ingredients we can grow here in Northern Europe. So we're starting a couple of projects where we're planting our beans. So we use some white beans for some of our cheeses on uh, current dairy land. So we're working with uh, some dairy farmers and uh, actually helping them uh, convert from uh, the dairy farm that they are running to something that is um, plant-based and um, yeah, a lot more uh, environmentally friendly. So 
yeah, it's at this stage, it's in its infancy and we're just working on pilots at the moment. But I really think this can be something that we can roll out at quite a lot of scale. So not only with our supply chain, but I think it's something that uh, others can follow as well. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm completely on the same mindset. We actually did a, a slot at Harper Adams University, um, which is just near Birmingham. And it's very much a farming university. Like they even have some farming practices. And I was there promoting our plant-based meals. I got hit quite a lot of resistance and yeah. I had some really good conversations with someone who was so anti-vegan. Um, mm. I was like, look, I'm not trying to cause problems. We need farmers. We need British farmers to be growing produce. The dairy side is not something we're interested in, but we still need you, your land for the beans, the crops, like anything else we can use ingredients wise. We're not anti-farmers. Yeah. That's not the issue. Yeah, yeah. We're not, we're yeah. not trying to destroy your industry and your livelihood. It's just mm. we don't agree with the, the practices um, for the animals because we don't like the end result. It's nothing to yeah. do with you personally. And it was, it was really good conversations, actually. It was mm. kind of, I was there on my own getting barrage of this kind of thing. But I think I went away yeah. actually having a good conversation and maybe even opening their eyes a little bit to say, maybe not all vegans are going to attack us and throw paint on yeah. stuff and, and do all this. So, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. be supportive rather than damaging yeah I, I think so and I think it's also important to yeah not not expect things to change straight away like that's why a pilot is is already proving so useful because we you know we would all love to see a dairy farm switch overnight in, into growing something plant-based but the reality is most budgets are so tight for a farmer proposing something like a pilot is totally feasible but expecting overnight changes is, is very tricky so we're trying to build a bit of faith at the moment and then once we've uh, got a, a model that can be kind of copied and rolled out then we're in a really good place because farmers are super practical people they think about things extremely logically so if you take all the barriers away you know that a lot of them are going to change so yeah it's 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 going to be um a, yeah a, a bit of a grind getting it all going but it's going to be totally worth it yeah it's nice to hear your your direct impact to that and the support so that's that's fantastic to hear um mm. for anyone who's listening who is thinking about starting a business whether plant-based or not how did you kind of start your kitchen table to being stocked in retailers to coming to the uk mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, th I think that is the hardest part because it's, uh, the, the first kind of year or so things happen pretty organically. So I was just taking everything week to week, but I think the biggest steps I made was outsourcing the production. Um, that's, that's a conversation everyone has to face at a certain point. And there are essentially two roads. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't say which one is better, but I think the one we chose for us works better for us so you can keep it in-house but you need a lot of investment to then scale it because the machinery the space the people is it can just be really substantial but we we outsourced our production and that was a massive step it's, it's very scary giving away the recipes and you know putting that trust in someone else and um you know potentially compromising the quality if you pick the wrong person but the time spent doing that is is it's time really yeah it's it's the best way to spend your time i think early on unless you've got vast amounts of investment um because right now it just means we can kind of plug in and play to a certain extent the recipes can just be rolled out um at a, at a, at a decent rate so 
that was a big step I'm glad we made. Um, I think also really focusing on, on, on impacts from day one was really important because if we had looked at it now, for example, there might be too many other things on our plate to, and it would maybe be pushed to one side, whereas it's one of the five key components of Willycroft. And so we give equal time to it, to everything else. And we've got a couple of people who work solely on, on our, our impacts. And what that looks like is getting all of our, our LCAs done. So we're going to have our CO2 metrics on the packaging, doing things like this farmer project, um, and also looking at some broader activism that we can support. So campaigns that we can support um, and uh, yeah, more kind of nationwide initiatives that we can put a bit of backing behind. Um, so yeah, I would say those two things, outsourcing production and making impacts important from day one, because until you quantify the difference you're making, it's difficult to say, you know, what, what that is. And it's so hard to bring that in when you've got your, your uh, kind of margins all intricately laid out. And so if you can put impact into, into that from day one, it's, it's, it's a great place to be. Yeah, definitely. Um, for us, I know the reason we essentially started was we're both vegan and gluten-free, trying to find something mm -hmm. that was healthy, convenient, wasn't in single right. use packaging, actually did some good for the planet or for others. Um, so we yeah. had a charitable buy a meal, donate a meal. Um, all this was super important to our cause and what we're trying to produce. So mm -hmm. it's really, yeah, I think for anyone who is listening, he's like, kind of got this idea, just think of your why and really push that and, and think of your impact. Yeah over long term what is it you want to achieve yeah yeah and I, I do think initially it's it's really good just to roll with it week to week like I didn't get too worried about the big picture until about a year in because that first year was just um yeah there was so much there day to day and if ever I did stick my head above the parapet it was it was pretty scary thinking how I was going to get you know, four feet in front, let alone one feet. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really, I really did benefit, I think, from just taking it step by step and just, um, yeah, focusing on getting the next week out of the way. And uh, before I knew it, I'd more than nailed the steps that I was worried about a few months before. Um, whereas now everything is a bit more medium to long term. You know, we really do have steps that we take. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's good to have that balance uh, when you start and then when you start to grow a bit. When it, when it comes to your actual um, plant-based cheeses themselves and the ingredients you use, when you were first starting, how did you research or test what was going to become a cheese? Because now you can go into a supermarket and you can pick up all sorts of different vegan cheeses. But when you started, obviously you were making it yourselves, I assume at home from ingredients that you would have had to play around with. How did that kind of journey go? Was it just trial and error or was it a bit of research? Yeah, so I, I firstly looked at what dairy cheese was made of in terms of which nutritional back, um, nutritional kind of breakdown and things. And from there, I looked to build up a similar base, but with plant-based ingredients. So that's why I initially started with nuts because they're very high in carbohydrate, protein and fat which is perfect for, for most cheese making. Um, and then I was looking for certain binding agents that behaved in a similar way and could um, yeah, kind of bring things together in the way that the milk can. Milk's got the most fantastic natural properties that, that bind it together. 
So recreating that is definitely one of the bigger challenges. Um, but it was a yeah, hell of a lot of trial and error. And, and if I look at the evolution we've had already, it's, it's crazy how many bases we've gone through. So we really wanted to avoid soy and coconut based products because actually that background is very different to, to cheese. Um, and therefore we, we were worried about the structure and flavor profiles that would come out of that. So we started with cashews. I used to use a lot of macadamias and um, some, some almonds and walnuts as well. But all of those ingredients are quite expensive. They're also generally, they have really high processing costs. So um, the, the environmental cost of those ingredients is actually quite high. Uh, like our plant-based fondue is only two and a half times less, or it produces only two and a half times less CO2 than a dairy fondue, which is good, but it could be a lot better. Um, and so we've, we've since moved on to soy for our cream cheeses, but for all of our new cheeses, um, we're using, sorry, I just lost the screen. Uh, we're using beans. Um, so, um, they are equally as nutritious as, as, as the nuts we were once using, but the environmental and the cost impact are just incomparable. Um, and then we're also playing around with, with some other kind of legumes that are from uh, this part of Northern Europe as well. So this is yeah, an ever evolving uh, piece. Um, and we are just on the tip of the iceberg in terms of the whole, the, as in the whole industry, uh, in, in terms of what we can use for replacements for meat, milk, cheese. I mean, I think we'll laugh at the fact that we use certain things that we are today in, in 10 years time, because there's so much out there that, uh, can, can be adapted and, and yeah, integrated and stuff. Yeah, I saw someone on um, LinkedIn had made this comparison of um, last year to this year in terms of the dairy brand or dairy alternative brands in, I think it's mainly America, but it's the sources of different milks, cheeses, and um, yeah, like cheese alternatives or meat alternatives. But they're using things like amaranth or like all sorts of ancient grains and there was about 20 odd different grains that have been used to make plant-based milks. Um, and it's, wow. yeah, it's not just your soy, oats, coconut and almond. Mm. There's, there's so many out there now. So yeah, trial and error must be quite right. a big part of, of doing it. But as you said, it's yeah. the environmental factors, something that not a lot of people will mm. necessarily consider unless you are a conscious buyer in terms of knowing your sources or the people you're buying from. Mm. So, what was well, the... Sorry. Yeah, that's a really important point, I think, because there's, there's quite a wide assumption that just because something's plant-based, it's better for, for the environment. And we are incredibly self-critical about that um, fact, because as our fondue proves, it, you know, we're still not that much better in some instances. So um, that's one thing that uh, I think we can, we can all push further, because... We're, we're in this kind of sweet spot, I think, at the moment where everyone is very supportive of plant-based products. But I think we continue to need to, to kind of lead the way in terms of our own self-criticism and, and improvement. Because, um, yeah, there's a lot of ingredients that can still do a lot of harm for the planet. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think, think there's a long way to go in, in that regard. Um, and that's why, again, impact is so key. Because once you know the numbers, then you can make really awesome improvements. Definitely. 
And so your range at the moment, I've seen a few of the different ones online um, before the call we announced, or sorry, you, you told me that you actually launched or launching into the UK as well. Um, so in the UK, where are people be able to find your products sort of as and when this is released? Yeah, so Planet Organic is, uh, is, is one spot. So we're in four of the stores. There's a few shut at the moment, uh, but we're in all of the open ones in London. And then we're going online. I think it's the end of this week. Um, then Whole Foods we're launching out is probably going to be the back end of this month. Um, and then also the vegan kind online. Um, and then there's a few other smaller health stores and stuff, but um, those are the main, main ones for now. Fantastic. Yeah. So what was the, what was the reason behind your move from, um, I assume, did you, did you grow up in the UK and then move to Amsterdam? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, I, I grew up near Brighton. Um, but, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time in Devon on my, my grandparents' farm. So, uh, yeah, it's still home. I haven't actually lived in the UK for five years cause I was in New York for a couple of years, but, um, the UK is still home and, uh, yeah, I, I think it's such a perfect time to be coming over, actually, because, uh, yeah, there's it, the, the plant-based scene in, in the UK is, is amazing. I mean, if I compare it to here, it's just a totally different world. Uh, we, in Amsterdam, we have amazing options, but uh, actually it was very telling going to all of these little stores last week and seeing what was in these stores. And we went to a bunch all over the, the, the Netherlands just to, uh, to check it out. And... Yeah, it's, it's a very different uh, place and, and what people are eating in those places is, yeah, still um, a pretty uh, traditional diet. So, uh, yeah, in places like the Netherlands, we've got a long way to go. So moving back onto food then, um, what's your earliest memory of a meal or a particular time when you go, oh, if I close my eyes, I'm back at that moment and having this meal? <laughs> a couple of bad memories. So although I used to love going to my grandparents' farm, my grandmother was the worst cook. I think your grandmother can either be the best cook or the, the worst cook. So on my dad's side, she was incredible. But uh, on my mum's side, uh, despite living on a farm, she, yeah, we got some horror shows. Um, it was, yeah, the, I, I, I don't know how you can make a bad soup. I mean, soup is pretty simple, eh? but wow, we had some shockers. And the worst thing about eating there was um, you, you would keep getting the same meal until it was gone. So you couldn't protest and, you know, just not eat for one meal. It was just going to get staler and staler. So <laughs> that, was a, that was a very, um, yeah, strong memory. Without Marmite, I wouldn't have got through that because it just makes everything else taste nothing. Um, but in terms of good food memories, um, we, we actually always ate a lot as a family. So, uh, um, yeah, on the, on the weekends and stuff, um, Saturday lunch was always a particular highlight because literally my dad would empty the entire contents of the fridge onto the table and we would just sit there for a, a good hour before we went off and played football together. Um, and then we'd always have big, big, um, Sunday, uh, roasts and things like that. Like that so uh they were they were fond memories for sure yeah nice yeah we used to do the the family table thing we we call it if it's so it was like if it's in the nice. fridge if it's in the cupboards it's going on the table and that was nice. like one that. of my favorite childhood meals um yeah same with um when i first started dating shirin who is now my wife we've been together mm. 13 years um mm. every saturday we would go around shirin's mum and dad's and 
Shirin's mum, Suzanne, is a phenomenal cook. Um, she's um, Persian and makes the most amazing Persian food. And we would just yeah. have like Persian Saturdays. It would always be can of Diet Coke, the best rice, like all this spread of food. And it just, we said like, if and when we decide to have children, we want these little family traditions to say, yeah, Saturday is going to be this or Friday. Like that's, that's an exciting thing. It's having these rituals or routines around food. I'm sure anyone listening to this or watching it can kind of think back to their childhood or maybe right now they go, oh yeah, Friday night is takeaway night or whatever it is. So you share so many experiences and memories through food. Um, is there a particular place or time you've traveled to where the food just stood out for you, um, if you've been abroad somewhere, or if there's like a particular meal or spice or smell that goes, yeah, that that is the best. Yeah, I really love. Um, yeah, when I was in Sri Lanka, the food there was amazing. So I do like hot food, but not overly hot food. But there, it's got a kind of like fruity feel to it. It's really fresh just amazing flavor, just of such an abundance of flavor, like the perfect amount of heat, the perfect amount of, yeah, kind of sweet fruitiness, and then, yeah, a good base to it as well. So the food was great there, and just so abundant there. Um, I've also got a really good friend in Nepal, and his mom is the best cook. So whenever I'm, I've been over to Kathmandu quite a bit, and uh, yeah, she's, she's a fabulous cook. And she makes the, um, the naan in, in a really traditional way. And uh, she's just spinning it around in her hand. And then I'm trying to do it with both hands and just it's folding together. And it's, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, it's quite an experience eating in that kind of environment because you've got the heat of the cooker, but then you've got um, the spice of, of a dish that she makes, which is crazy and the humidity. And it's just, it's very sensory. So it's a little too hot. There's been a few times where I think she's thought that I'm about to, um, yeah, pass out or something. But <laughs> I am enjoying the experience. Um, it's yeah, it's very. It, I, I like food when it's it kind of um, interacts with you more than just your taste. Um, you know, other parts of your senses. I think that's always uh, really enjoyable. Yeah, I think people like um, Heston Blumenthal, for example. He is king of that kind. It's all about the experience, the smells, the taste, the feel. Um, yeah. It's yeah. like you said, it has to hit all the senses, which I think mm. vegan food initially was lacking that kind of level of experience. Yeah. Like you could have something that looks the same, but it won't have the same taste or you bite it and it's chewy or rubbery. It's, it's, yeah. it's that yeah. whole experience that now when you look at companies like Impossible Foods or Beyond Meat, the research and the technology behind every element of what it does is just unreal. Um, we're getting to this level of... Um, have you seen the 3D printed steaks as well? It's just, right. it's just getting it's crazy. Yeah, I have to check that out. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one thing I love about Asia is because um, obviously it's very, like most of them are dairy intolerant as a starting point, but also there's not a mad amount of meat in their food. So you go there and you're like, wow, you know, the food here, it, it doesn't have to have any meat. It doesn't have to have any dairy in it. It's, it's just delicious. So, um, yeah, we're, we're in a really good place now. I think um, people are realizing that it doesn't have to be a sacrifice. And I think that was, that was always a really important tipping point because um, when something is just, um, or, or when you're being asked to do something just for environmental reasons, 
I think a lot of people that's not enough or, or, or animal welfare reasons, but um, when something is as good um, as the thing it's replacing, that's the point where, yeah, a hell of a lot more people are going to get behind it. And actually it's, it's then a very easy decision. Um, there's, there's not really a decision to be made. You know, it's just, uh, you can keep enjoying things in the same way you always have just the base is different. Um, so I think we're getting, you know, not too far away from that. Yeah, that's always been one of my responses when people are like, so why, why are you vegan? It's always, well, there's so many options of what you can be eating now that why wouldn't you eat this? Like if you like a particular meat, flavor, texture, whatever it is, there's products on the market that are good as, if not better, um, for almost anything. So it just seems, my, my justification was always, why would I take a life when I can make something that tastes just the same or just as good? Sure, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. What's um in terms of Amsterdam and food out there? Are there any particular places that you'll go to for breakfast, lunches, or dinners? Is there a standout? You're like, I have to get my food from here. Yeah, we are we are so blessed here actually. Um, the food scene is actually really good. It's it's a bit like the UK where the, the Dutch don't have too many of their own delicacies, so they do other people's things really well. Um, but firstly, there's some really amazing delis here, like really good plant-based deli stores and kind of package-free stores. And just they, they do that kind of classic artisanal store really well. Uh, Restaurant-wise, there's a place called Yerba, uh, which is just amazing. It's uh, this, this really good three, four-course uh, dinner. One of the guys is actually from the UK, one of the chefs. Um, he does it with his wife, actually. It's a really nice uh, combination. And they just make fabulous uh, food. Um, they do some plant-based cheeses as well. And they have an amazing um, ice cream to cap it off. Um, what else is good? Um, I mean, actually, cafe-wise, we are, I mean, yeah, we're so blessed as well. There's so many good brunch spots. Um, maybe too many. There's a, there's a really nice place called Soil, which uh, is quite cool because it's more um, low-key. So Yerba is a bit more of like a classic fine dining experience. Soil is just a good, hearty, solid meal. Um, so a good one if you just want something quick. Um, but yeah, lots of good spots. Yeah. We, we went to Amsterdam just before lockdown in February. And yeah. um, we found, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a pizza place that did vegan and gluten-free pizza. Um, and again, and yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so yeah, that's actually right opposite soil. So exactly the same oh. neighborhood. Yeah, that neighborhood actually in the West is probably the best area for, um, for stuff. Yeah, some really yeah. good things along. She, she was just so passionate about the fact that she made the cheeses in-house. She was, yeah, mm. it just you could tell how much she loved the food and what she was doing, which I think is always a big selling point for me. And I think because the Dutch generally are so friendly, I'll mm. put that on top of hospitality and food, which is mm. delicious food. It, it was just a great experience. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, what's quite cool out here actually is a lot of the restaurants, which I'm now thinking of now, they're not, they're not vegan restaurants. So I can go there with a friend who, who is still perhaps eating meat or fish and they will try the dish I'm having and they'll, you know, they'll be really into it. So next time maybe they'll have that dish instead. Um, and yeah, we're, 
we're in a really good place with that kind of stuff as well. I think it's really good when there's, you know, multiple options. We've all been to a restaurant and there's one veggie sandwich or something and it's just soggy and yeah, just devoid of all flavor. But um, Amsterdam's getting really good at having options for everyone and that really helps stimulate the conversation, I think. Yeah, we went to, is it the Food Helen? And had, again, That's a good spot. Yeah, yeah. mixing pot of just going, oh, actually, I fancy a bit of Mexican, or I fancy a bit of this. And almost everything was like, we've got a vegan option, vegan option. Mm. Um, and yeah, mm. it's, it's so good to see. And that, for me, that's the environment I love. Busy, there's lots to choose from, lots of spices, flavours, conversations. It's a nice feeling to be around. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, that's a great spot. Yeah. Um, in terms of vegan products, so you guys mm. focus on cheese. Are you moving into other sectors of dairy or is cheese going to be your core focus? Um, we are, we are looking at it. We've, we've made a couple of other things, but um, for the next couple of years, I think it will be cheese. There's uh, 2000 different dairy cheeses. So um, we still got a long way to go. Um, and uh, yeah, for, I think focus is really important. Um, and actually every cheese we've released, we've reinvented it already. So, um, I think we are mainly focused on making sure what we've got and what we're developing at the moment is absolutely the best it can possibly be. Um, but yeah, I definitely think we will at some point in the future. We're, we're not going to touch meat. Uh, well, famous last words, but uh, <laughs> that's definitely not on the horizon. Um, but other plant-based dairy, yeah, there's a good chance. And do you, at the moment, do you have a, any hard cheeses as part of your range? That's, that's in, the, in the, the kitchen at the moment being worked on. So uh, we have a cheddar actually, which uh, is the first cheese we've, we've created a really dense structure for. And it's, it's coming up real good. So we're now just trying to get the, um, the kind of melting components right. Um, texture is 100% the hardest thing with plant-based cheese making. Um, as I said before, the yeah, milk is just the most incredible binding agent. So replicating that is, um, yeah, it takes time. Um, but we're getting, we're getting pretty close. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, there's only a few in the UK I've tried, and it's been at Borough mm. Market, for example. There was some guys there mm. making the um, fermented cashew cheeses, which had mould and rind and would, would kind yeah. of develop, and the flavour was just... Flavor, texture, everything just blew my mind. It's, it's amazing to see how that's developed from your typical kind of coconut oil based starch flavor. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So we, we used to make those kind of cheeses, but we, we paused a lot of those recipes briefly because we couldn't figure out how to do those at scale just yet. So the cheeses we have got on the market, but also coming, so cream cheeses, fondue, cheese sauce, parmesan, feta, mozzarella, cheddar. These are more everyday cheeses, but uh, we've got a really good camembert recipe um, that we will return to. And we've also got um, a really nice blue cheese recipe as well. So we have, yeah, we, we will now change the base because the cashew is just too expensive and we need to work out how we're going to age them um in in the right environment because it takes up a lot of space and stuff but uh yeah there's some nice problems so fantastic and um long term what's your your goal with willie croft what's your kind of big picture 
Yeah, I mean, we want to be the well, we want to be the most responsible plant-based cheese maker. I kind of see well, I look at a company like Patagonia and think that's 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 kind of where or what I would like to replicate. But for cheese, yeah. um, we we do want to be a, a big player, but only if it means doing it in the right way. Um, Mother Nature's our CEO. I'm just the founder. Um, and with that in mind, every decision has to be with the yeah planet first. So we, we will grow, but we'll grow the right way. And uh, yeah, where that takes us, uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I will judge us not so much on what we sell, but the impact that things like our transitional farming projects have. Um, because I think those are the things that if other people start doing, then we'll get really excited about that. And uh, yeah, also seeing more companies have things like their LCAs on their products. If we can help bring that, that level of responsibility onto packaging, we would also be really proud of that. So those are the, the, the key kind of uh, ambitions for the next few years. Fantastic. I think one thing that um, I almost forgot to mention was I, on your website as well, you've obviously got your main website for the cheeses and, and your product range. But you've also got an online shop with other people's ranges. Um, mm. And you talk about that kind of idea as a brand to create mm. this nice community of cheeses and how that came about. Yeah, so when we, when we first kind of launched our first range in Amsterdam, I really wanted a physical store because some of my favorite brands, you, you really understand their values and you understand their backstory because they do such a good job at kind of bringing you inside and, and showing you, you know, what, what's really going on under the surface. And so we wanted to do that with the store. Uh, I thought Amsterdam was so ready for a plant-based cheese store, um, but I, I didn't think it would ever work with our initial three cheeses. Um, um, we're very lucky here in Amsterdam because everyone is quite friendly who's making plant-based cheeses. So I got, a, got together a group and um, yeah, opened a store that sold um, a range of cheeses because um, yeah, I think we, we kind of needed a, a, a proper uh, kind of yeah, variety of cheeses. Um, so that's, that store then stemmed into a website when um, COVID hit. But it's actually the best uh, thing for pushing us to do that because we should have done it a, lot, a long time before. Um, so the store now is um, selling into Belgium and into Germany as well. Um, and yeah, I don't really see these guys as competitors um, because if you look at uh, a supermarket at the moment, there's probably 50 different dairy cheese brands in one given supermarket. Um, at the moment, there's maybe five plant-based cheese brands that shelf over time is going to get more and more populated with plant-based cheese brands. So there's plenty of room for all of us. Um, and if we don't um, make it onto the shelves, it's not, it's not because uh, of someone else. It's because we haven't done our, our kind of homework um, to, a, to a greater degree. So yeah, that's kind of the way uh, we see it. Yeah. I love that. I love the, the community support. It's like, by supporting others, you all rise together. It's that kind of classic yeah. phase. And it's something we're really passionate about. It's, it's championing the other people, other brands, other products you believe in and yeah. getting everyone collectively behind them. So 
yeah, like like yourselves, I can't wait to actually get my hands on some of your your cheeses because um, I've seen them online since the Revolution talks and gone. Oh yeah, I re really want to try them. So next time I'm in London, I will definitely be keeping an eye out for them. Perfect, perfect. So um, before I ask the final question, um, yeah. where can people find your um, cheeses either online or find you personally if they want to ask any follow-up questions or anything? Yeah, so willycroft.com will uh, direct you to everything for the first question. And then, um, yeah, people could just email me if they have a question. So it's brad at willycroft.com. Perfect. So again, um, absolutely love what you're doing i love your mission your goals your kind of physical impact and um programs you're putting in place i think it's really inspirational so keep up the awesome work and thank you. final okay. question is uh yeah. you've lived out your long life you've achieved everything you've wanted and before you move on to your next phase whatever that may be you have a one final sit down meal what would it be mm -hmm. oh that is tricky so I am in this business for reasons because I adore cheese or used to adore dairy cheese. So it would be a banging plant-based cheese board. It wouldn't necessarily be solely Willycroft. We'd have a few guest appearances in there. But um, yeah, I think a very widespread of plant-based cheeses and uh, a nice drop of wine as well. That would uh, serve me well. Perfect. Uh Amazing, absolutely love this. And thank you very much for your time, Brett. No, thanks for having me. Yeah. Take care. Bye bye. Cheers.